Excel Pro. When you're dealing with those third-party content creators that aren't employees and they're doing this outside the course and scope of what they normally do, right, for you, you want to make sure that you have written agreements with them that are very clear as to the ownership of the resulting IP. Welcome to Excel Pro IP Law, where we provide interviews and products to accelerate your professional development. I'm Neil Ungerleither. Today, we're going to talk about brands, trademarks, and social media. Our guest is Chad Gottlieb. Chad is a partner at Darrow Everett LLP and the firm's chief growth officer. He's also a practice leader for the firm's intellectual property and technology and corporate and business transaction practice groups and the practice leader for their data privacy and cybersecurity group. Excel Pro's interviews and products help to improve your day-to-day job performance and accelerate professional development. For a transcript of this episode and to learn more about the Excel Pro IP Law community, visit joinaccelpro.com. That's J-O-I-N-A-C-C-E-L-P-R-O.com. And now for my conversation with Chad Gottlieb. Chad, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Can you give our listeners some background on Darrow Everett and your role there? Yeah, for sure. So Darrow Everett is located in Florida, New York, Austin, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Tennessee. We have eight offices, and we are a full-service law firm. We do everything under the sun. We have a strong focus on M&A, so mergers and acquisition. And can you tell us a little bit about your role there and the kind of work that you personally focus on? Yeah, of course. So I'm a partner. I'm also the chief growth officer. So that gives me the best of both worlds. I get to practice law, but I also get to practice the business side of our law firm. And most people don't get that a law firm is also a business, but if you can run it that way, you can run it successfully. So I have the opportunity to participate in both facets. My main role as a lawyer is mergers and acquisitions, but I really enjoy and get to do a lot of work on the intellectual property side which includes marketing and telemarketing and intellectual property. Those are my main roles at the firm, and I've been with the firm for over seven years. And you've written about the need for trademark owners to exercise quality control over marks or the quality of trademark goods or services used by a third party to not abandon trademark rights. Can you tell us a little bit about this? And also, what should companies think about when they structure and implement quality control measures through their agreements with these third parties? Yeah, and that's a great question. So the article you're discussing, I believe, is about naked licensing, which is principle in trademark law that kind of says, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? Or if you don't properly protect it, you lose it. So when it comes to any type of intellectual property, really, but definitely focusing on trademarks, you really need to set mechanisms in place to monitor, right? One, maintain, and you really do that through different mechanisms. One on the monitoring side, you're going to want to set up on the service with a third-party provider, and there's quite a few of them available online, and they charge a monthly fee. And depending on the scope of the service, they'll either search the internet generally, or they'll search USPTO filings, and they'll flag those for you and send them over to you. So if you need to take action, so that's on the monitoring side. On the maintenance side, maintaining a trademark portfolio tool. Again, lots of software out there that offer different options that provide friendly reminders for maintenance requirements, whether it's under trademark law and it's a Section 8 or Section 15 
filing, the platform will make sure that you don't forget those, right? In addition to having some form of contractual oversight is important, particularly when third parties are utilizing your brands or your trademarks. So if you're in a business that provides for a distributor relationship and those distributors or licensees are using your trademark, you're going to want to make sure that you have proper processes and procedures in place in order to make sure that you don't jeopardize those rights because a third party essentially takes advantage of them. And from your perspective, how much do companies need to canvas social media and e-commerce sites to show they supervise the quality and have not abandoned their mark? So that's a good question. I mean, in the context of third party and proper use, what's definitely important, the premise of the article that you're referring to on naked licensing really relates to those where you have a know that you know they're using it, right? So in the instance that you're talking about, I would say that's more brand protection and brand awareness of what's being put out there, right? Because as we know, the IP that sits on a lot of these huge companies from Amazon to Google to Apple, it's huge, right? Like the value they've invested and the value in their name. So without providing the adequate protections, they not necessarily have legal implications, but more so business implications, right? So counterfeit goods, et cetera. So it's definitely important because with additional modes of communication, particularly social media, it makes it even more imperative for companies to make sure that they're staying ahead of the curve and they're not behind it when it comes to confirming that they know what's going on with their brand. And what role might e-commerce sites themselves play in how companies police the quality of their marks? For example, Etsy has its own rules for trademark infringement claims specifically. Are there ways a company might rely on these sites and platforms to protect the quality of their marks more broadly? Would companies work directly with these sites or platforms to have these issues flagged? So it depends on the platform. From our experience, some are better than others. Like eBay, for example, has its own kind of policies. Let's see, like you said, even Amazon. Amazon has a registration process where you can put your registered trademarks within their kind of database. The problem is you're dealing with red tape and you're dealing with common bottlenecks in connection with any type of business process, right? But doesn't make sense, especially for larger brands to work within the kind of rules of these platforms, yes, for sure. But, you know, in my experience from a number of sellers that we represented on different e-commerce platforms, including Amazon or Etsy, they still run into issues and they still try to go through the takedown process or the dispute process for the platform. And, you know, despite having valid intellectual property rights, it's just not always successful. And that's when they have to take additional measures. With that said, it is prudent, particularly for the average business owner, to do that on their own because coming to me and spending X dollars an hour isn't always going to make sense, right, for a smaller size business. Apart from exercising quality control over marks through contractual provisions and through adequately supervising quality of mark, how can companies better protect their IP on social media or e-commerce sites? So on e-commerce or social media sites, it definitely would be, again, there's platforms out there that provide it, but you know, larger companies that can afford it within their marketing department to have dedicated people, right, that are looking through and seeing what's being posted out there, whether it's tagged or with respects to their name or technology, because there are platforms that again, similar to the monitoring platforms at Monitor the Internet, they're also going to search social media posts, et cetera, and flag those things. I mean, again, those are going to be the most valuable tools for companies that can afford them. And for legal teams working with larger brands and companies, do you have any recommendations for working with their clients on trademark or copyright strategy 
especially in regards to social media? Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, every company that is relying on or pushing out content, particularly content that includes triggering claims or claims in which they're trying to persuade an individual consumer to purchase a good or service, really should have a process internally, which includes marketing guidelines that are clear and explain how internal partners or providers that are doing marketing, as well as external partners, are required to present the brand but also what claims they can, can't make and how they should be made in connection with the goods or services. The other very good item, particularly those in more regulated industries that we always recommend clients to have is to document things, right? Um, if you don't document it, it can happen and it's harder to find. So when a regulator comes in and wants to inquire about what your ads were in 2017, you want to be scrambling around searching for emails, calling the providers. So there's third-party ad approval platforms that have the workflow that even our firm has been part of. We're on the end, we're legal sign-off, right? So those are the two main things that if they're how to be integrated, I would definitely recommend that any internal legal or marketing department have. I was also curious about brand endorsements in the context of social media influencers and ambassadors. You've written about the importance of having solid brand licensing agreements when working with an endorser ambassador. And you indicated that working with someone who's more akin to a brand partner and the additional IP that generates, including trademarks, service marks, design patterns, requires forethought in who owns the rights to that content and how to protect it. Can you tell us a little bit about the considerations there? Yeah, of course. So when it comes down to the different IP, whether it's copyright, a patent, or a trademark, generally the creator or the inventor are the ones that are investing in the rights absent different exemptions. So from a high level principle, when you're dealing with those third-party content creators that aren't employees and they're doing this outside the course and scope of what they normally do right for you, you want to make sure that you have written agreements with them that are very clear as to the ownership of the resulting IP and that they will take any steps necessary to assign it, including signing conveyance documents, et cetera. It's definitely extremely important throughout my career. I've definitely had many instances where clients have had issues, whether it's audio or video content, that they've had to fight over ownership because they didn't have proper written agreements in place. And I know you've also written previously about bad acts of brand influencers triggering morality clauses and licensing agreements. And I was curious, are there issues with the ability to enforce these morality clauses? And generally speaking, how well do they hold up in courts and what should companies and the representation consider when deciding to invoke the clause? Should companies anticipate major disputes or litigations there? And why might a reasonableness requirement be useful? So definitely popular, definitely enforceable. But it, again, when it comes to if there's a breach with respects to a morality clause, it's generally very factually intensive, and it'll be tied to what the morality triggers are, which can vary from industry or contract to contract, right? But the general standard ones you see with those things that have a material or an adverse impact on the brand that's being represented or any criminal acts, the more common ones are definitely enforceable. I mean, there's freedom of contract, and you know, as long as the parties negotiated those terms, I definitely would recommend brands that are entering into agreements, particularly those larger agreements, have those provisions in place because they are important and there may be instances where you need to enforce them because with the prevalence of information sharing globally, right, things spread very fast. And there's been quite a few instances in which those clauses have had to be enforced. With that said, from 
Kanye West, et cetera, you know, they're going to fight back, right? Because there's a lot of money on the line. And that's what it comes down to, a really a factual question as to whether or not the conduct or the actions or inactions of the brand ambassador violated the clause. And on the flip side, for social media influencers who are looking to partner with brands, what are some of the major gray areas they should keep in mind in terms of endorsement implications and disclosure requirements? So the biggest thing for influencers or any third party that's going to endorse a brand is really just complying with the FTC's endorsement guidelines. They are promulgated or issued under the FTC Act, which essentially ensure protects consumers against unfair and deceptive trade practices. So those guidelines are kind of like the roadmap of what the FTC would consider a violation of the FTC Act. And it's just very important. I mean, the, the core, like if you got to remember anything is affiliate clearly and conspicuously disclosed material affiliation and any consideration received in connection with endorsement, because that's where we see whether it's the FTC or the SEC with Kim Kardashian. Those are the things that regulators come down on where people use their influence within the marketplace to tout products, but don't clearly disclose that they're going to financially benefit from those products. And Chad, I also wanted to ask a couple of questions about your career. What led to IP law becoming one of your specialties? What was the pathway there? So yeah, my last year of law school, I was in South Florida and I always wanted to move to New York. Uh, it was just a dream of mine and to get out of the warm weather. And I got an opportunity to do an externship my last semester of law school at an entertainment law firm, a boutique entertainment law firm. And it was awesome. I mean, they worked with different artists from Rihanna uh, to run DMC. And I had to review those contracts. And I thought it was the coolest thing to really understand how the music industry worked. And when I was finishing up the externship, I was about to graduate law school. And at that point, I decided that I wanted to go and get my LM, which is a master's in law. That's another year. I don't know why I wanted to go to school for another year. I was probably crazy. But I got my LLM intellectual property at Cardozo. And it allowed me to stay in New York for another two years. And that's really where my interest began. Historically, when it comes to typical IP work, I've always focused on trademark prosecution and clearance and licensing. And I really love doing the marketing side of it and the branding and the brand awareness and compliant persuasion marketing that helps convert right? That helps our clients bottom line, but does so in a fair um, and undeceptive way for the consumers. And when you started your legal career, what were some of the most unexpected things you learned work-wise over the first couple of years? Uh, that's a good question. There's a big learning curve, right? What you learn in law school isn't what you're going to learn as a lawyer. It helps maybe create a foundation for the way you think, but really you don't learn how to be a lawyer until you practice law. And it's not something that happens overnight. It's something that takes a lot of dedication and effort. And there's going to be points in anyone's career where they're going to be stressed out or overwhelmed. But eventually you get to a point where you're comfortable in your career and you're comfortable with the decisions you're making. And really takes a while away when you get there. It's a good feeling. And I also want to ask about taking on a leadership role at a firm. Do you have any recommendations for listeners who might be starting in a leadership role and taking that on in addition to their previous job duties? Do you have any tips for them? I do. I can give you two tips. One is a more generalized tip, which is something I like to remind myself and the people we work with. We spend more than half our life working. So you can either go into it enjoying every day and making those around you enjoy it every day, 
or you could do the opposite, but definitely the former to me is a way to go. And if you can have that mindset, it'll slowly trickle down to those around you and those you work with. And it just makes a much better work environment, no matter what industry you're in. The other item is, I guess, more micro with respects to managing a firm. Oftentimes it's hard asking clients for a retainer or asking clients to pay a bill, but we're service providers and if we're providing a service and we're honoring our commitment to our clients, then it's only fair to ask them to do the same. That was Chad Gottlieb. Chad, thank you so much. Anytime. This has been awesome. For a transcript of this conversation and to learn more about the Excel Pro IP law community, visit joinexcelpro.com. That's J O I N A C C E L P R O.com. Excel Pro's interviews and products accelerate your professional development. Our mission is to improve our members' day to day job performance and make career goals achievable. Thanks again to today's guest. If your colleagues in any sector of the IP law field might be interested, please let them know about Excel Pro. As our community grows, it grows more useful for its members. Remember to send your comments and career questions to questions at joinexcelpro.com. You can also call us at 614-642-2235. That's 614-64-A-C-C-E-L. Excel Pro IP Law is powered by Kaplan. The producers are J. Ray Sparks and Jeff Eisenman. The team is Shweta Kolkarni, Caitlin Cole, Jared Goff, Harrison Shapiro, Inesh Bose, Arnesh Bose, Aliza Solario, Jessica Stillman, Matt Crossman, and me, Neil Ungleither. Remember, we excel together. See you next time.